All right, it's good to be here tonight. Thank you so much. Uh, if you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9 is where we're going to be tonight. I, uh, I, I got a, I, uh, when Jason told me that um, I was going to get a chance to preach, I was excited about that. I'm always excited to preach, but um, a lot of times people say, you know, we're praying for you, you know, and that's good. I appreciate that when people say, you know, we're going to pray for you when you're going to preach, and I really do appreciate that. And don't get me wrong how, what I'm about to say. I don't want, it to take, want you to take it wrong because it seems like a lot of times when I say things, people take it wrong, so let me just go ahead and Make sure that nobody gets the wrong idea of what I'm about to say. I always feel like there's more pressure when you preach at your home church for some reason. I don't know. It feels like it's easier to preach on the road. It's easier to preach at camp. It's easier to do things like that. But it seems like when you're preaching in front of people that you know and you talk to on a, on a day-in, day-out basis in a church, it just, I don't know, for me, it just seems like there's more pressure. I was telling Faith this afternoon when I was getting the study in to preach and um, I told her that I feel like, you know, spot preaching is, is great. I mean, I understand spot preaching because I don't get a chance to do that, and we have a pastor and an assistant pastor and those types of things, and that's wonderful. But when you're doing like a spot-filling kind of preaching, it almost feels like if anybody's a baseball fan, it kind of feels like you're pinch-hitting. That's what it kind of feels like. I don't know if any of you other preachers feel that way, but that's what I feel like. And so if you're familiar with baseball, you understand the reference that you've got guys in a lineup, they play day after day after day, they're always in the lineup, you know, that's kind of like your pastor, your, your preacher that's always preaching day in and day out, and those batters can go 0 for 3, 0 for 5, whatever, and they, they play the next day, so it's okay, but when you're a pinch hitter, you're kind of expected to deliver, you come in, in in a position, and it's like, okay, give me your best, and so uh, I, I don't know what we got tonight. I mean, I know what the Lord's laid on my heart, but I pray that you prepare your heart and mind because uh, a lot of times I'll sit through a message and think, man, I didn't get anything out of that, and that's wrong. That's wrong of me. Um, Brother Robert does this in children's church. I think it's a wonderful idea. I'm not saying that you guys are children, but I think it's a good concept. He always asks the kids um, that they should think of two questions when they, anytime they hear the Word of God taught or preached, and that is, what is the Bible saying? First of all, in context, what is it saying? And the second thing is, how can I apply this to my life? And so that's what I ask you to do tonight, okay, on this, on this pitch-hitting Sunday night, okay? Ask yourself these questions. Ask yourself, what's the Bible saying in context, and how can I apply this to my life? And I pray that God will give uh, you something through this message. If you stand, please, we'll read our text, 1 Corinthians chapter um, number 9. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, our text, we're going to start reading in verse number 15. Verse number 15, the Bible says, But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me, for if it were better for me to die, that any man should make my glorying void. Verse 16 says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me, if I preach not the gospel. So tonight I want to emphasize a message on focusing on um, preaching the gospel. There's a necessity of preaching the gospel. You may be seated as I pray. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you so much for tonight. Lord, I pray that you would just please uh, use me, Lord, as a, as a vessel to encourage your people. Uh, God, I pray that, that you would just uh, have your words. Please uh, just come through your book. Lord, I pray that you just give me the, um, uh, the mind, Lord God, to focus on the things that I need to say and the things that I don't need to say, God. And I pray that everything that's reflected here tonight will be giving you the glory and the honor, Lord. We love you and we thank you for everything you blessed us with. In Jesus' name, amen. We see here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, just to give you some context on what's going on here, Paul's writing this 
uh, letter to the church at Corinth, and it's been uh, plowed over and over again about how the issues at, at Corinth were, 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 were great. There were, were some bad issues here in the church, and so Paul is writing this letter back to them to sort of help straighten things out. And specifically in this chapter, Paul starts the chapter by talking about his liberty in God. He talks about, am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are ye not my work in the Lord? So he's talking about what, what Christians ought to do with the liberty that they have by the salvation grace of God. Now these, these believers here at Corinth were using their liberty to just sin and lust and uh, grace will forgive them of those things. And, that, and that's what Paul's trying to write here and talk to about. But he says that we shouldn't use our liberty of freedom and salvation and mercy and grace that the Lord gives us to just live any lifestyle that we want to. We shouldn't do that. Notice what he says. He says in verse 12, If others be partakers of this power over you, um, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things. But suffer all things. Christians, if we're, if we're living the life like we're supposed to, we're going to suffer some things. We don't need to use our, our, our liberty of salvation just to live however we want to. We're going to have to suffer some things. But Paul says, but suffer all things lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. And when I read that verse, and I've, I've preached out of this chapter before, and I think I've preached it here. I don't know if I have, then just act like it's the first time that I've done it, okay? If not, you know, maybe it'll be better this time. Uh, this verse here, but suffer all things lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. And when I read that, I, was, I reflected on this verse and I asked myself, is there something in my life that I'm hindering the gospel? Is there something that I'm doing in my life that would hinder the gospel in, in what people see, in what people perceive? Now, I don't try to get caught up on too much on what people perceive about me as long as I'm doing what I know I need to be doing, living according to God's word. I'm not going to worry about that too much, but externally, is there something that I'm actively doing that's going to hinder the gospel? And I ask myself that question on a daily basis because I don't want that to be the case. I want to live my life for God. I, I, I would love to be in uh, just uh, some type of full-time ministry, you know, and I, I want to live my life so I don't have to hinder or that I don't hinder the gospel of Christ. And so Paul here is trying to encourage these believers here in the church. So he's writing to a church, writing to believers. And over when he gets over to um, verse number 16, he says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Uh, last Saturday, Brother Chris brought a, a wonderful challenge at our visitation breakfast, and he was focusing on Jesus. You know, sometimes we give the gospel, we give the plan of salvation, we forget about talking about who Jesus is. We forget to even mention Jesus. We forget to even, uh, to even discuss the foundation of our faith. And I thought about that, and it was, a very, it was very challenging for me. It was very stirring for me to think about that thought, and then when I did uh, children's, oh no, it wasn't children's church, it was our master club, our opening night for master club, and I had a, a devotion there, a devotion challenge with the kids before we come down for dinner, and the, the devotion was, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? You know, there are a lot of definitions about who Jesus is. Uh, there are a lot of uh, ideas about Jesus, and you talk to people about, you can talk to people about God, and they won't get upset, but if you talk to them about Jesus, about Jesus being the Savior of all mankind, that's when people's tend to start disagreeing about things. And so I think it's important that we, we emphasize the gospel and that we emphasize Jesus. And Paul here is talking about this, and he says, Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. So there are a couple things that I want us to be reminded about, about this gospel and about what our, our call is to, with, to what to do with the gospel and what to do with Jesus. Uh, first thing here on the, in, the, in the message 
is we have, I see in verse 16 and 17, that Paul talks about he has a necessity. In verse 17, he says, For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward, but if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed into me. Christians, we have a responsibility. That's the first thing. We have a responsibility to the gospel. We have a responsibility to it. And, and, and what really is that responsibility? Well, we see the responsibility that, that Christ gives us in Matthew chapter 28, 19, and 20 of the Great Commission about going and, and teaching and preaching and showing people all things considering, concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ. A lot of times we talk about what the gospel is, but a lot of times, like Brother Chris was talking about the last, uh, last Saturdays, we forget about mentioning Jesus. And we have this responsibility to preach the gospel. Now, you might be saying, well, I'm not a preacher or whatever. It doesn't matter. In this context here, Paul's talking about himself preaching the gospel, but and, and the overall theme of the idea in the Bible is to get the gospel out and to share the gospel with people and tell people about specifically what the gospel is. You know, this is our responsibility, and, and Paul is commending these people. He says, look, I have this dispensation that's been called upon me. It's necessity. You know, I, forget, I think we forget sometimes that it is necessity that people hear the gospel. Uh, a lot of times we get caught up with things about church and coming up with, I guess, ideas about how to make church, let's just face it, make it more appealing to people. We try to come up with different things, different schemes. I mean, I've been thinking about that lately, about how I can get more kids involved in the Sunday school program and then how to get them there on Wednesday and coming up with some kind of attendance campaign and, and thinking about things to pull them in. I mean, that's sad where we're at, but we're trying to pull people in, almost trying to manipulate them to come in but sometimes we can forget that it is a necessity that we give them the gospel. Because without the gospel, nothing changes. Nothing changes. You know, Paul talks about in Romans, the first part of Romans, that is the power of God into salvation. And if we're not careful, we'll forget about the power of the gospel. And Paul here is, is saying that, look, we have a responsibility. Christians, you have a responsibility to the gospel. A lot of, oftentimes we can forget about our passion about the gospel. We can forget about our urgency of the gospel. We can forget about just really our, our concern about the gospel. And it's almost that we're afraid of it, almost afraid to share the gospel. And we shouldn't be afraid. Church, we should not be afraid. I don't want this to, to, to sound like I'm condemning anyone, but myself included, we need to remember that the gospel is important. And that that's our responsibility. And that's really the first thing Paul focuses here in these, in, these two in these two verses. For if I preach not the gospel, woe is unto me. Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. You know, for myself personally, if there's a, if there's a chance for me to talk to somebody about God and an opportunity to share the gospel, I need to do that. Because woe unto me if I don't. Um, as a Christian, you should be looking for an opportunity to talk to somebody about the gospel. Now, it's hard to lead up and talk about church. It's hard to talk about God. I don't know why it feels that way, but I guess it just is. I guess it's maybe just the culture we live in, where it's like if you start talking about God or Jesus or church that you feel almost attacked. Well, that's exactly what Paul was talking about, but suffer all things unless we hinder the gospel of Christ. When we don't look for that avenue to share the gospel, we're, we're hindering it. We're hindering it. It doesn't matter. Well, you could say, well, I don't know if that person's saved or not. Well, that's not up to us to determine. It is our responsibility, like Paul is saying, to share the gospel. And woe unto us if, there's, if we do not share the gospel. The next thing Paul talks about here, pull apart my outline. The next thing Paul talks about here in verse number 17, he says, For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. So we see not only a responsibility of the gospel, but we see a reward in the gospel. There's a reward in the gospel. You know, I don't do church. 
I don't do um, a master club, I don't do the van route, I don't do vacation Bible school, I don't do any of that stuff for monetary gain, for popularity, to be recognized. I really hate, I really don't like it. I don't like to be recognized for things that I do. It's just, to me, it's like, you know, I, I know what my Christian responsibilities are, I know what my call is, I know what my duty is, I just want to show up and do it and do the best I can and be happy about it, and if I get recognition, that's great, if not, I'm not going to worry about it. I don't do, I don't live the Christian life and do what I do day in and day out for the Lord for a reward here or in here or out there. That's not what I do it for. But no amount of money nor notoriety or fame or prestige can come close to any type of reward that you and I as Christians, if we are pushing the gospel and using our responsibility to get the gospel out, none, none of that could compare to the rewards that we have laid up for us. The ones that we're building day in and day out when we talk to people about the gospel, when we not hinder the gospel, but we help the gospel. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 12, Jesus says, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Luke chapter 6, verse 23, Jesus talks about rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. In Colossians 3, 24, uh, the Bible says, Know that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of inheritance, for ye serve the Lord. You and I have a reward that we can work towards as we are using our responsibility to get the gospel out. There's a reward for us. Now, I, it's hard for me to think about a, uh, uh, to, to see the reward in heaven because the Bible talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I believe it is, it says, but, but the, things which are not, are the things which are seen are, or which, <laughs> the things which are not seen are eternal. So it's hard to really see those rewards that you and I can put up for ourselves that we can't see. I take, you know, let me tell you what, what really excites me. My, you know what my rewards are? Is when I see fruit of the labor of people in the church. When I see little boys and little girls come from all areas of Dalton, Whitfield County, and even Catoosa County or Murray County or wherever she's living at that time. When they come into the church and they, they have a smile on their face and people are seeing them and, and shaking their hands and asking about their week, that is my reward. I, that makes me feel so good, and not because of myself and making me feel good about it, but, but knowing that God is using me so I can actually see that. I'm, I'm one of these people, I like to see progress. Uh, I know that as a Christian when you're giving the gospel and you're presenting the gospel and the work of the Lord, you may not ever see any fruit that you, that you work towards. You may not ever see any of that. Uh, but I think God allows us to see some on the way. You know, maybe not a lot, maybe a little bit. I can think of several kids that I've had the opportunity to work with over the past 10 years in Master Club. Some of them, you know, they, they sift out, they get sifted out, you know, they get, they get taken by the world and they get, they get gone. But there are a few that I see that remain, and that is my reward. I know the rewards that he, Paul's talking about here are the ones that are laid up in heaven. For if we do this willingly, I have a reward he's talking about, that if he preaches the gospel and presents the gospel, he has a reward for it. I know that's what he's talking about, those rewards in heaven, but it is encouraging for me and my soul to see rewards that remain. I can physically see them. Uh, I see that. So we not only see the responsibility of the gospel, we see the rewards of the gospel and people's lives being changed by the gospel. We, we ought not forget that. Let's not forget that, that people's lives can be changed by the gospel. Not just their, not just their economic status or not just what they look like, but their, their, their eternal destiny can be changed with the gospel. And I don't want to lose it. I don't want to forget that. And Paul here is trying to encourage these readers at this church. 
So we see the responsibility of the gospel. We see the reward in the gospel. Thirdly, we see the reach of the gospel in verse number 19. Look at it with me. Our verse goes back to verse 18. He says, what, what is my reward then? Verily that. When I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I, I abuse not my power in the gospel. Verse 19. Uh, for though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself a servant unto all, that I might gain the more. Uh, verse number 20, and unto the Jew I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews, to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. Verse 21, to them that are without the law, as without law, being not without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. Verse 22, to the weak I became as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. So we see the responsibility in the gospel that Paul's talking about. We see the reward of the gospel that Paul's talking about. And thirdly, we see the reach of the gospel. We see Paul's reach. Paul uh, was, a, was a person that loved people. He loved people. And he wanted to share the gospel and share this, this life-changing message, this eternal changing message with people. He didn't care who they were. Uh, one of the greatest things, and this really has, this passage of scripture changed my perspective of how of how I see church, of how I see the gospel. Uh, it, it really is a missions-minded passage here. It really is because Paul's talking about his reach here, and he mentions three groups. First, uh, in verse 21, he mentions a group that's without law, without law. This is talking about the, the, the Gentiles, the heathen, non-believers. He says, these are people are my reach, and I want to reach these people with the gospel. You know, church, we ought to be people reaching people. People reaching people, people that have no clue about the gospel, people that uh, may say they know who God is or say they go to church, but people that need the gospel, people that, that you look at them and they say, yeah, I know who God is, but then the, you don't see any fruit, they don't go to church, uh, they don't know anything about the Bible. These people need the gospel. These are our reach. These are people we need to be reaching with the gospel. We see another group that he mentions here. He mentions the, the religious, the Jews. He talks about uh, those folks in verse number 21. To the Jews I became as a Jew. Uh, th these people represent the religious people that think they're saved, but they're not. We got tons and tons of people in this county, in, in Dalton, uh, that, that, that think they're saved or think that they're on a way to a better life. And really now it's almost seeming like that people are just forgetting church in general. It's not Church is not important. Even going to like any type of church or any type of worship center is just not important anymore as long as you recognize that there is a God. I talked to a guy one time, uh, we, were, we were discussing uh, some things. That's a kind word for saying, I guess, debating. I know you're not really supposed to do that. But I, I was trying to teach him about what the Bible was saying. And his point of view was, well, I recognize God as an all-powerful being, uh, but I don't need to do, I, there's nothing I need to do to be saved because Jesus has died for everybody. And when it's time for me to face God, I'll just say that I believe in Jesus. And I, I really think that's the overall universal idea is that people just think, well, one day I'll, I'll see God and then I'll just say, yeah, Jesus is, is the son of God and that's how I'm going to get into heaven. That's not, at that point, it's too late. When you come face to face with God, it's too late. You're either heaven bound or hell bound. And what you do in this life determines that. And there are a lot of religious people that think that they do enough good that'll outweigh the bad. They'll be okay. They'll be okay. And there are tons of people in this community that believe that. And we need to get the gospel to them. That needs to be our reach. Uh, that's one of the things I'm concerned about in this community, particularly 
uh, for me personally is my reach in this community. And I want to try to reach as many kids as I can. I want to try to reach as many of their parents as I can because there are a lot of people in this community that think they're going to heaven, but they're not. Uh, Not according to what the Bible tells me. And we need, to folk, we need to remember that. What, who is our reach? We have people, non-believers, we have people who think they're going to heaven. And then we have our reach, what Paul talks about. He talks about the weak. Look in verse number 22. He says, to the weak became I as weak that I might gain the weak. And I really feel like this verse here is talking about Christians who are spiritually frail. And Paul is talking about, I've gone to these, I'm going to go to these weak Christians. You know, these people who might seem a bit extreme, or maybe they've done something and almost sort of in the shadows of the church, uh, these folks who have fallen, Paul says, I want to be as they are and go to where they are so that I can gain them, so that I can pull them up. And I think this is something that, uh, that God has challenged my heart with, that I need to recognize weaker Christians. And not saying that I'm some super spiritual person. Uh, you guys know I'm not. But I'm saying that we need to recognize these people and go to these people and get involved in their lives and try to help them because you might be the only person that's available to do that because you never know what your influence can do on a weaker Christian. And Paul's talking about that. He says, look, to these weaker Christians, I'm going to become as weak so that I might gain them, so I might gain them to pull them up. Oftentimes I feel like we sort of see those Christians and just kind of, well, maybe they'll figure it out. Well, we're praying for you. But when's the last time you actively got involved in somebody's life? I know it's scary. I know it, you're busy. I'm busy. I, I did something the other day that was, it was, I don't know, almost sort of silly. There was a guy, and he was pulled off the side of the road. There was smoke just billowing out of his, out of his hood. And uh, he was barely out of the intersection. And so I was like, man, nobody's helping him. Started feeling convicted about going over there, so I pulled off and got out. And uh, it was this little Asian couple from, coming up from Atlanta to go to Kentucky, and his car was overheating, and, and they barely spoke English. So it was hard to communicate, and I was like, "Yeah, see, this is difficult now. I'm trying to be a good person, try to help this person out, and I was getting involved in their life, and it was hard." Because I started getting involved. I gave him my phone number to try to, I was like, do you know anybody in Dalton? He's like, no. And I was like, oh, no. Uh, What are you going to do? And I gave him my phone number and my name to try to be like, hey, I know some people that might can help you. Let me know. And uh, he called me later and, uh, you know, said, thank you for all your help. You know, we we were able to get it worked out and got it fixed or whatever. And and in between that, before, the time I gave him my number to the time he called me back, I was thinking, you know, if he doesn't know anybody, hopefully he's got lots of money so he can, like, get a hotel room because I don't have a lot of room to put people up in my house. They had a kid and, like, the mother-in-law, and so I was a little concerned, and, that, you know, it started worrying me, uh, but that's, that's, that's what this is. I mean, getting involved in people's lives. When, they, when you see a need in somebody's life, get involved in it, and one of the greatest things that I got to do is I got to, I got to invite him to our church and to share the gospel with him. Um, he, he thanked me for the invitation, and I said, if you're ever back in Dalton, you know, stop by. Here's our church. This is where I go to church, um, and I, I don't know what the Lord will do with that. Maybe he'll, he'll, he'll do something great in his life. I don't know, but it's not up to us to determine what happens. It's all about getting involved in people's life, and that's important. So who is our reach? Paul says that he wants to be all things to all men. Notice what he says uh, here in 
let's see. Verse number 19. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself a servant unto all. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself a servant unto all. Why would Paul do that? Why would he be living his life as a servant to other people, even though he, he is free from any, any physical, well, at some point he's free from physical bonds, at some point he is in bonds, uh, but he's not a, a slave to anyone, he doesn't owe anybody anything. What is he talking about here for, for I become a servant at all? Here's what I think he's talking about. I think he understands that he owes a debt to God that he cannot pay, and he is using his life to serve others. You know, one of my favorite uh, uh, Latin phrases is ali inti ipsum. It means others before self. And I really want that to be my life. I really want that to be who I am and put others before the needs of myself. Now it's hard. I'm human. It not always works out that way. But I want that to be my life. And where does that come from? That comes from really the great commandment of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Mark chapter 12. Turn over there with me. Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, you see this in the gospel. It's recorded in other books of the gospel, but in Mark, I really especially like it. In Mark chapter 12, verse 29, or actually in verse 28, let's read there. Why is Paul becoming a servant unto all men? Because he realizes that he, had, he, he owes a debt to God that he can't pay with anything, so he's using his life to serve others. Look what Jesus says in Mark chapter 12, in verse 28, it says, And one of the scribes came, and having heard him reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered him well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. If Christians around the world could unite with that thought, there could be some drastic change that happens in our world. If we could seriously love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Now, in the other Gospels, it only uses three. But here in Mark, it uses four, heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says, this is the first commandment. Look at it with me. In verse 31, he says, And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. This, there is no other commandment greater than these. And... As a Christian, as my life personally, something God has convicted me of is that the most important things in my life is one, that I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength every single day. And the sec we, 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 we amen that one and we get excited about that one. Okay, woo, yes, we're going to get that and that one, that one will preach, we'll revival on that one. But it's that, it's that second part, it's the 1B part that Jesus puts in there. And he says, but the second is likened to it. Namely this, that you should love thy neighbor as thyself. He says these are equal. You cannot love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You can't say you do that if you don't love somebody else and get involved with their life. You cannot do that. They are the same. If you love God, then you will this. Anybody remember those if-then statements from geometry? If angle A is equal to angle D and angle B, then angle C must be equal to B. And If-then statements in geometry, anybody remember those? Or if I'm just throwing that off the wall. That's one of those if-then statements. If you will love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you will love others, and you will serve them. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's saying, who is my reach? These people are my reach. And he says, I want to be all things to all men. 
You know, the gospel can reach the heart of anyone. It can reach the heart of anyone. The gospel is not partial. It is not partial. It is partial when it comes to the point of judgment day. It's partial then. But the gospel in its presentation is not partial. It can save anybody. It can change anybody's life. And Paul says, I, become, I want to become all things to all men. Look at it in there in verse number 22. He says, to the weak I became as weak that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. I want to, and I'll put faith in here with this, because you know we're one scripturally. Bible says we're one. We want to live our lives to where we, whatever it takes, we want to be all things to all people no matter what it takes. And I'm okay with that. Whatever God wants for us to do, I'm okay with that. And I, I, I want to be that so that by somehow, some way, my reach, my influence can save somebody. Not me saving them, obviously not, the gospel. Because I know the gospel is the power unto salvation. So, church, let's not forget our reach. Let's not forget the people that we can influence in this community, the people that we see every single day, the people that you live around. Let's not forget our reach. So we see the responsibility of the gospel. We see the rewarding in the gospel, the reach of the gospel. And lastly, we see that Paul uses an illustration, the race in the gospel. Look at verse 24. Or verse 23, he says, And this do I for the gospel's sake, that I might be a partaker thereof with you. Let's park right here for a second. The gospel is not the preacher's responsibility. It is every believer's responsibility. Paul says here, And this do I for the gospel's sake, that I might be a partaker thereof with you. It is not, well, I used to be active in serving God as a Christian and sharing the gospel. It is an active right now. Everybody partaker with you. Verse 24 says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things, but they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Verse 26, I therefore so run, not as uncertainty, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep my body and bring it under suggestion. Lest that, uh, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should not be cast away. Paul talks about here, he uses the illustration of a race. Now, I used to run a lot. Uh, I did. I used to run a lot. I did half marathons, 10Ks, uh, 5Ks. Uh, let me say, that's three miles and six miles and half marathon, so that's 13.1 miles. So I used to do all that uh, when I was about 20 pounds lighter. I used to run a lot, and I really enjoyed it. And Paul here is using this illustration of, of running in a race. Uh, at, at that time and that day, racing was like the big sport, okay? Racing and wrestling were big sports here. So he's using an illustration to try to help these people understand what he's talking about. And he, he, he's talking about this race, and he's used this idea before. He, he talks about in 2 Timothy chapter 4, talking about finishing his course, talking about the, the race that he's running here as a Christian. And this would be something that his readers would relate to. So Paul's trying to use this, and he's talking about the characteristics of a runner and what it takes to run. If anybody has ever tried to run a mile or half a mile, uh, it's difficult. It is difficult. How many of you guys run? You, you, you like to run? One, two, three, four. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, that's about it. It's, it takes a lot of work, okay? Now, we're, Paul's closing up this chapter here, and he's saying that, look, we have a responsibility to the gospel. There's rewards in the gospel. There's a reach in our gospel. But what is it going to take for us to do that? It's going to take some stuff. It's not just we're going to roll out of bed one day and be like, yeah, I'm ready to share the gospel today. That's not how it happens. It's not how it works. 
There's going to take. There's going to be some things that are. That's going to take us to do that. We have to do it. Uh, verse 24 says, "Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain." You know, a Christian that is going to be actively getting the gospel out. There's got to be a little bit of a little bit of a competitor in you. There's going to have to be a little bit of fire in you to where you want to see something done and you, and you want to see it done right. And I don't know how anybody else is, but that's kind of how I am. Uh, when I know that, that I'm going to be doing something, I, 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 want to, I want to do it, and I want to do it the best I can. And that's just a little bit of competition in me. I don't know what it is. It's just a, a little bit of a fire in me that God has used to put in there to make me do something for him. And you've got to have a desire. You've got to have a desire in order to share the gospel. You've got to um, have a desire to serve the Lord. You know, the Psalm 42 talks about that, how uh, the heart panteth after the water brook. There's got to be a desire in your life if you're going to share the gospel. You have to have that desire. Not only do you need to have that competitive spirit, but you need to be conditioned as a Christian. You're going to have to be, there's going to have to be some conditioning in there. People don't just get out and start running one day and think they're going to run a half marathon, Okay. Some people can do that, I guess. I don't know. But for me, it didn't work that way. I trained and trained and trained and trained before I ran it. And I think I did run it in an hour and 44 minutes. So if you can imagine running for an hour and 45 minutes, that's, that's what it did. That's what I did, okay? Uh, and, and that didn't happen just overnight. There was a lot of work that went into that. There was a lot of conditioning that went into that. Um, Paul talks about that there's a lot of self-discipline. He says there in verse number 25, And every man that is striving for the master is temperate in all things meaning that there's a willingness and a self-discipline to do these things. If, we're, if we truly have a desire to tell others about the gospel, we're going to have to have some self-control, self-discipline, and we're going to have to get into our Bibles and actually put some effort into studying and knowing what the Bible says. And I want to be that. That's what I want to be. I want to know what my Bible says, and I want to be confident when I'm talking to people about the Bible and sharing the gospel. I want to condition my heart, my mind, everything about me I want to condition and saturate by the Word of God. That's what I want. That's what I want for my life. Uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, the Bible talks about how uh, a, a workman that need not sh- uh, be ashamed, show thyself approved, show thyself approved, study God's Word, know what you're doing, know where you're going in this race, in your Christian life, know what you're purpose is, know what you're conditioning for. You know, Jesus, or in Philippians, Paul talks about that, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. It was Christ's mind to be with others, to share the gospel, tell them about himself, be with them. By the way, Jesus got involved in people's lives. He did. He got involved in people's lives. Some people are so scared to get involved in people's lives. Don't be. This is your only chance. This is, your, this is the chance. Right now, today, tomorrow, actually tomorrow's not even guaranteed, today is your chance to get involved in somebody's life. And Jesus was all about getting involved in people's lives. And I want that for my life. But we have to have that type of mind. Lastly, that Paul mentions here, in this race, if we're going to share the gospel, if, we're, if we know our responsibility, know what kind of rewards we have for sharing the gospel, and we know where our reach is, we have to be controlled. We have to look at verse 26. It says, I so therefore run, he's using this as an illustration, not as uncertainty. There are a lot of Christians that are, running in their Christian life, and they're just completely uncertain about what they're doing. Uh, have you ever seen somebody run, and you knew that they didn't know what they were doing? Like their body was just flailing all over the place. Usually you see this with little kids because they're learning the, the motor skills and how the body is supposed to move while they're running. That's what Paul's talking about here. He says, I'm running, but I'm not running as uncertainty. I'm not running just 
however I want to. There's a, there's a pattern, there's a method to it. He says, not as one that beateth the air. A runner must be in control of his mind, must be alert, must be aware of his surroundings. And all this stuff are biblical principles. Talking about how we know that Satan is out there to devour us. We need to be mentally sober and, and mentally aware of what our enemy is and who our enemy is. And be controlled and be know those things. In 2 Peter chapter 5, I just referenced it. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And a lot of Christians, they love God, they want to serve God, they want to see lives changed, but when it comes to this part about being self-disciplined and being controlled and being have a, have a mind and a mouth controlled for the Lord, they don't have that, and they're just beating the air, running as uncertainty, not accomplishing anything, no technique, nothing at all, just sort of flailing around. And that is, not, that is not the picture we get from this portion of Scripture. We see that Paul is talking about that he wants to run as one that keeps his, in verse 27, he says, but I keep, my, or I keep under my body and bring it unto, unto subjection. Because if I'm a Christian that is running as uncertainty, beating the air, then look what happens in verse 27. Look with me. He says, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now, he says, I myself should be a castaway, meaning that his message would, would fall on deaf ears, basically, that himself would be no good. But if you spin that around and look at it the other way, the way he conducts his life in his Christian life can have an adverse effect on others. And we need to remember that. The gospel is important. And I truly believe that a lot of Christians, a lot of you here love God. You, you want to serve God. You're looking for something to do for the Lord. You're, you're actively praying and seeking God every single day. And there's a, there's a lot of times that we, we, our, our intentions are good. And we've we got all this energy to do something. And sometimes we're just running like we're beating the air. We need to think about being controlled and being certain. Because sometimes if we're not careful... What we're doing in our Christian life and what may seem as harmless to us may have an adverse reaction and it affects somebody else. So we need to be very, very careful of that. Lastly, I close with this thought. That Christians, we know the gospel is important. We know our reach. We want to reach people with the gospel. But there's something that it's going to take for us. We need to be controlled as those runners who are running the race. And we want to be in uh, holding our bodies still, our minds still on the Lord, but we're going to have to be consistent. There's going to have to be some consistency. You know, a lot of times, church ministries can kind of be like filling a cog. You know, you just rotate somebody in, rotate somebody out, rotate somebody in, rotate somebody out. And a lot of times, I get it, I understand, you're just trying to get somebody in there because nobody else will do it. I understand that. But there's going to take, there's going to take some sacrifice. And there's going to take some suffering, and there's going to take that, and it's going to have to be consistent. Where there's going to have to be some consistency in our lives for people to see a difference. And I think one of the great things about our church is we have been so consistent in this community for so long. And God has really blessed us with that. But we shouldn't be just settled in that fact. Uh, it, it, it's going to take a new wave of people. I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking about, uh, actually, I was thinking about, I looked at Jason, and I was like, man, he's getting old. And I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking like, uh, well, I was, I was there with you. I was thinking 10 years ago, 
10 years, or maybe been 12 years ago, I don't remember, 11 years ago, whenever. I remember he asked me if I wanted to do Master Club uh, when he was doing it, I think, at one point, or Johnny was doing it or something, I don't remember. And we started in there, and we were, and I got in there, and I started teaching these boys, and, and I think I might have been 19-ish, I guess, I don't know, 19, 20, something like that. And I remember I was thinking, man, he was so young. He was younger than me right now, so I was thinking about that. And uh, I was thinking, man, how time has just gone by. And I think I've thought about people that have served in our church, and a lot of people have been consistent. A lot of people have been carried on by things, uh, whether they've gone on to serve in other ministries or the world's taken them. And I thought about that, and I thought about, and I was just praying, and I, this thought came over me, and I just had to pray about it because it was, it was making me nervous. And I was thinking, who is that that's going to be consistent in another 10 years, in another 10 years? Uh, one of my biggest fears, and I shouldn't say this because the Bible tells us that God does not give us the spirit of fear, uh, but of the spirit of love and sound mind, right? But I was afraid that going forward that there might not be any consistency in people serving in our church. I feared about that, and I thought about that, and I said, oh God, please, please preserve people of our church to remain to be consistent, please. And I was thinking about how 10 years ago I was 10 years younger and he was 10 years younger and I was thinking about other people who were in this room who were 10 years younger then and I was thinking about who, who is it going to be in the next 10 years? Because usually in 10 years from now, there probably some people will be here, some people won't be. And that's, like I said, either by moving to other ministries or because the world's taken them. And I don't want the world to take anybody that's here I want there to be some consistency, and I say all that to say this, that the ministries of this church are not designed to be fill-the-hole ministries. They're not just, well, nobody else will do it, you know, yeah, I'll do it if you need me. No, it needs to be, do you want to do it? Do you have a desire to do it? Do you want to do it? Because if you really don't want to do it, you don't need to be there. You just don't. You're going to do more harm than you are good. But we need people who want to do it because there need to be consistent, faithful people who are willing to suffer some things and get involved in people's lives in this church, in this community, because in the next 10 years, I don't want to think about how old I'll be in 10 years or how old you all will be in 10 years, but there needs, yeah, you, you, you'll be real old. <laughs> we need some consistency. And, I, and I, I, I think about that, and it worries me. And I, I close to say this. Um, this passage of Scripture here really spoke to my heart. I hope it spoke to you. I hope there were some things you can reflect on in, in this portion of Scripture about Paul emphasizing the importance of the gospel and about his responsibility and our responsibility as well for the gospel. Now, I'm going to ask you to do two things. I'm going to ask you to ask yourself those two questions that I mentioned at the beginning. What was the Bible, what's the Bible talking about here in this portion of Scripture? And how can I apply this to my life? Now, we're going to have, a, we're going to have an invitation. Now, don't feel like you need to come down to the altar just to make me feel good. Okay? I want you to respond to how God has spoken to you during the invitation time. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Brother Jason's coming. Brother Randy and Miss Rebecca are coming for our song. And I pray that you would let this message speak to you. Let's pray. Lord, we do love you. God, we pray that you please speak to hearts. Lord, I pray that you would just um, 
get the glory out of my life tonight. God, and I pray that you would help me, Lord, not to hinder the gospel. And I pray, God, that if there's somebody here that's not saved, God, they've never, they don't know what the gospel is. I pray that, Lord, we'd be, give us the chance to share the gospel with them tonight. Lord, we love you and we thank you for everything you've done for us. In your name we pray.